I'm not sure if you heard. Um, right now, we actually have exactly the same time we have a big funeral at the South Campus. And this, was, uh, this is someone who three of uh, his um, you know, kids are serving in our youth ministry, in our young, young adults. And um, it's, it's a very tough situation because uh, this guy, within a month and a half, you know, uh, pretty much got so sick. Uh, he had stage four cancer, and today is his funeral. But the sad part is that he died, and I know what it's like to lose your dad because my dad passed away about a year and a half. The good part about this is that he left an incredible legacy. He raised up some godly you know, children, and I, I am so glad to be part of a church you know, that he was part of. And I think he's gonna go down in history as someone who has encouraged us, who stood by our side, and uh, tonight we honor him. And uh, as we are talking about this, this sermon series on purpose, uh, and it's, today is the last uh, sermon on this series, I wanna talk to you about legacy. I wanna talk to you about having a life lived on purpose that you might leave a godly legacy. So you guys, you guys on board? Yeah? This is how, yes. All right. Um, so if you guys wanna just stand really quick, we're gonna pray and we're gonna go straight into the sermon. Lord, we thank you, God, for your presence. We ask you right now, God, that you bless this sermon, God, and open up our hearts. God, we wanna hear from you. We're desperate to see your presence, God. We are desperate to hear from you. We ask you right now, God, that your Holy Spirit might come and minister to us. If there's people in this place that have broken hearts, God, that you mend that. If there's people with hopelessness, God, you bring hope and restoration, God. And Father, if anybody here is celebrating, that we may come alongside and celebrate what you've been doing in their life. Lord, we thank you. We bless you, God. And we ask you, God, that you move here tonight. May Jesus pray and everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, speaking of the funeral that we have, you know, as I mentioned, he was a very godly uh, man. But I think a lot of times when he would go to funerals, a lot of people say, things that they don't mean. The guy could be a drug dealer, and the guy's like, well, yeah, he had a nice smile, and everyone loved him. No, not everyone. Because there's, there's a tendency to sort of exaggerate their life. We want to paint it in a good light. And that's noble, I get that. But I, uh, last couple of weeks, I came across this story of this, this lady that had enough of her abusive father. So she wrote uh, an obituary, so if you don't know what an obituary is, is basically when somebody dies, they write this kind of paragraph about this person's life. You know, so she, she wrote this obituary about him and it went viral, okay? So I thought maybe you guys should hear it. It goes like this, Leslie Ray, which is her dad, um, was born in Galveston on November 20th, 1942, and passed away on January 30th, 2017. So just what, a month and a half ago. He says this, which was 29 years longer than expected and much more longer than he deserved. Leslie battled with cancer in his latter years and lost his battle, ultimately due to, high, uh, to being a horse's but, I mean, it's a different word here, but I can't really read it. Um, that he was ultimately known for. At the, age, uh, at the young age, Leslie became a model, of exam uh, a model example of bad parenting combined with mental illness. 
and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to join the Navy, but not in a brave and patriotic kind of way, but more so as a part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent. However, he lacked ambition and motivation to be anything more than being a reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less likely skilled than previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no obvious reason except uh, he did not contribute, uh, contribute to society or served, served his community. And he possessed no redeeming qualities besides a quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed for only the things that he never did, being a lovely father, husband, and good friend. No service will be held no service will be held. Uh, there will be no prayers for eternal peace, no apologies to the family he tortured. Leslie remains to be cremated and kept in a barn until Ray, the family donkey, uh, runs out of wood shavings. Leslie's passing proves that evil does die, in fact, and hopefully marks a time for healing and safety for all. Ouch. It's kind of hilarious, but it's extremely sad. And this is not something that someone, a comedian, put together. This is a real life story of, of a daughter writing this about her dad. Now, of course, she got a, a lot of backlash, right? Like, there was a huge backlash about this. Like, how can you, do you not have any respect for the dead? What's wrong with you? Why would you say this about your dad? So she wrote in a return, just as brutal and honest answer, she said, I wrote my fa father's obituary. I love my father because he was my father and his passing would, not been any, would have not been any less difficult had he been a good father to me. As someone that hated a liar, I believe even, the, even he would appreciate the honesty. I apologize to anyone that my father hurt and felt it would have been offensive to portray him as anything other than who he was. The obituary was intended to help bring closure because no one's talking about domestic uh, uh, violence uh, and, violence doesn't, and domestic violence doesn't make it go away. Thank you to those that offered me sincere condol uh, condolences, understanding and prayers for our, family, your, uh, for our family, your words bring comfort. I'm happy for those that simply do not understand. That means you had good parents. Please treasure them. Although I appreciate everyone's concern, it would have been much more appreciated at a time during my childhood. For those being cruel, please remember that you are now resembling my father, and I would be more than happy to pen your obituary as well. <laughs> wow. You look at this and you're wondering, how do people come to this, these kind of things? How is it that there's some people that live this life and they live a legacy of godliness? Live a legacy of, of being faithful and loving and caring and kind and gentle. And then you have these cases of people that constantly live for themselves. 
people that had no sort of straight purpose in life, all they wanted to do is to please their fancies, and that's about it. So my question to you then becomes, what will our obituaries say? Because, you see, the most important questions in life is not necessarily what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, or who you date, and so on and so forth. It, the most important questions in life is, what kind of eternity will you face, and what kind of legacy will you leave? I'm thankful for my grandma, and to a certain extent my dad, although he wasn't perfect, that he left a legacy of godliness. But what, what will your obituary, if people are completely honest about your life, what will they say? What will be written? Because most likely, you see what's written in your obituary, if it's honest, it's also going to show you a glimpse of what your eternity is going to look like. And how, how you've impacted people around you. It seems like tonight in the house we have mostly young adults. And I love young people because you know what? I think when you're young, this is when you build the foundations for your life. This is where you make choices that will define you for the rest of your life. Like for example, what kind of career do you choose? Uh, who you marry? Uh, people like, I, I mean, certain things like what church you attend, what denomination you're part of, what do you value in life? What are, you, what, what are you willing to give your time in exchange for? Uh, there's an American writer, uh, Thoreau. He, he, he said this one line that I just I love so much. He says, the true cost of things is not how much money you pay for it. The true cost of things is how much time you give in exchange for that. How much time of your life you give in exchange for what you get ultimately tells us what you value. It's not about how much money you give, and it's about how much time you sacrifice. Today in the morning, Pastor Russell was talking about how there was a very well-known evangelist, and at the end of his life, his kids came up to him and said, we don't know you. You've preached to everyone else except us. You left us in the dark. And I think there's a sentiment that uh, I think we, we can, and uh, a notion in the Russian community that to a certain extent, um, to a certain extent, we feel that about our fathers. Because if you are from Russian community, most likely you are born in a family with at least five kids. And your, your dad was probably working at least one or two jobs to provide for, your, for, your, for the family. And perhaps they tried their best to try to put a foot forth and, and, and help you out, but it never seemed to, to get around, right? And I remember my own kind of like, I had my own kind of hurt about it, that my dad never really spent time with me because we were seven in, in the family. And I know he loved me to a certain extent. And I think a lot of times it's like that. But I, I took that, and you could look at that and say, well, I don't want to have the kind of faith that our parents have. I, I, when my dad was, I don't really want to become like that. And maybe you have your own hurts. But right now, as you are young, you have a choice. Which path are you going to go down? You're either going to become someone that we're going to look back and say, that woman was a woman of God. That woman was someone that, that, that changed the course of history. Or are we going to look back and say, well, that woman or man was just, <laughs> all that we can tell about them is they've been a drunk, and all they've done is womanize and, and you know, get in a whole bunch of other brokenness like alcohol and drugs and all that. So my question to you is this. What will your obituary say? What kind of legacy will you leave? And finally, what kind of eternity will you face? Those are really, really relevant, question, uh, relevant questions. So 
that's one thing that I've been wrestling for a while, and I wanna, I wanna read this passage. If you guys have your Bibles, would you open with me to 2 Timothy 2.20? 2 Timothy 2.20, please. All right, so in 2 Timothy uh, 2.20 says this, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made out of gold and silver, and some are made out of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. If your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master's, uh, for the master's use um, for every good work. So there's this interesting question where it says that in the, in the great house of the Lord, there's certain things like certain utensils that are used for honor and certain utensils are used for dishonor. Obviously here God is talking about certain people. Now the question I've always had exactly, what is it, why is it God using this person? For example, Judas. Why would God use Judas for dishonor and use for people like Peter and, and John for honor? If you think about this, it's, it's interesting. Judas and Peter and John they all started at the same point. They were called by Jesus about the same time. They followed the same teacher, namely Jesus. They saw the same miracles. They saw the same eyes getting you know, healed and the same people getting healed and so on and so forth. They, they followed the same thing just like tonight. There's a whole bunch of you in this place and you are maybe going to the same church. You're listening namely to the same pastor. Today you're listening to me. Maybe next week we'll listen to Max or whoever else. But then we see at the end such drastic change. When we look at Judas, the Bible says committed suicide would have been better if he wasn't born. And we're talking about Peter. Peter is the rock. You know, well, it was Jesus the rock, but like Peter is, is gonna build the church. He's gonna be like a rock, you know. Uh, Simon Peter is gonna be that person that he's gonna carry on the legacy of Jesus Christ. That's a honorable purpose. Considering the fact that this guy is not very learned. He's not a philosopher, he's a fisherman. Think of uh, people doing construction. I mean, let's not point fingers, right? Russians, right? Like this was not like a very like, oh, they have a PhD in this and leading people to Christ. No, he was a fisherman. He was as, as normal as it gets. How is it? Is, is it, because, Obviously, this shows us that it wasn't about education, although God used people that were very knowledgeable, namely Paul. But God seems to use a whole bunch of different people. Talk about Moses that had a lisp. Talk about Joseph who, you know, had his own difficulties in his family. Talk about, you know, Abraham that, you know, from time to time he'd go sleep in the wrong tents. And David who would leave his blinds open just to look at his neighbor. So you have a pattern here of people that, you know, that we see that they ended up well, but it's like, what, what happened exactly? What's that one thing? I remember when we came to the United States about 15 years ago or 16 now, uh, my brother had a friend. They, they would go to the same church services and same places. And now I see my brother and it's been so, so long. And my brother is married and he's going to church and so on and so forth. And the other guy got deported and it's sad. Because this, sort of, this, this, this person became almost like a friend of ours, almost like a family member, rather, like in, in our family. So I'm like, what, why, what caused such a drastic change? 
Could it be because they sinned? Well, Moses sinned too, and Abraham. And by the way, Peter sinned too, and Judas sinned too. So if you think about Judas, right? Like Judas sold Jesus for 30 shekels, right? Like he sold Jesus. He sinned. But Peter did too. Maybe not directly. He denied Jesus. Peter was one of those people that every single time, you know, you have one of those people that, that you, you say, hey, I think we're going to go. Oh, I'm going. Well, wait, 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 you haven't even heard what we were talking about. Like, no, but, but I got this. Like, I got, Jesus, I got this. Like, I, I got your back. And Judas was kind of like this interesting character that was always in the background. We don't really know. It seems very, very fishy, but whatever. People don't really think much of it. And then John is just like, well, Jesus just told me he loves me. He's not great. So we have very, very drastic personalities here, right? You have Judas, very quiet, very kind of like, you know, you know, they say, watch out for the quiet ones, right? Like, and then you have Peter that's very, very kind of like in your face, like, I got this, come at me, bro. You know, like those, those kind of people. And then you have John that's like, Jesus just loves me. This is so great, you know? Very drastic personality. What caused him? What was the change? What was the switch? That's what we're trying to get at tonight. Well, we start to see this little by little. And I remember this passage that I talked about. And my dad kind of explained it to me. It says that, it says that you know, in the great house, there's different utensils. And maybe for you guys, maybe this doesn't, doesn't uh, resonate as much. But like when we live in, United, uh, in Moldova, when we live in Moldova, we actually had to go get water from the well. So we didn't really have water, the, you know, uh, tap water. So we would go out and we'd drop this bucket in the well, and then we'd have to roll the, the bucket up. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you that came the, uh, pretty late, you know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend, right? Like, uh, and you had to get the water and go home and put it in this, like, Pazik, right? Like, and then you'd take a bath. So that's all you know, right? And, and, and we would go and we'd bring water for our cattle, right? Like, because we lived on the farm. Uh, and then we bring water for washing, right? And then we bring water for drinking. And I think one of the most uh, you know, dreaded things that I had is I'd, I'd get a bucket of clean water for drinking and then something will fall into it. And I'm like, I have to do that trip again. So I would have to go dump the water, go because, because the, the water was contaminated. The water was no longer good for drinking. And my dad, I remember, he explained this to me. He said, Slavik, you know that in our house, we have a garbage can, and then we have a bucket for water that we go. I'm like, yeah, sure, yeah, got it. And he's like, you know, we don't actually take a garbage can and get water from the well with for drinking, do we now? I'm like, yeah, makes total sense. He says, why? Because I'm like, because it's dirty. This is exactly my point. He says, in our house, we have a garbage can, which is used for garbage. It usually smells in them. There's like banana peels and steak uh, and like a whole bunch of other things that are mixed. And then there you have, on the other hand, you have the drinking water. Uh, and we, we put that to make sure that it doesn't get contaminated. So when we read this verse, now we kind of get an idea. He says, in a wealthy home, there are some utensils that are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are made for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, now listen to this, 
If you keep yourself pure, if you keep yourself pure, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for master's every good work. Do you see the key here? If you keep yourself pure, well, yeah, Jesus, that's great, but what about Peter? He didn't exactly keep himself pure, don't you think? But you see, we get a bigger picture when we study these three people, Peter, John, and Judas. We start seeing that somehow Judas, you know, we have these, these verses that says the Jew, Judas is going to betray Jesus. And you're like, that's not really fair of God. Why would God choose Judas to betray Jesus? Like, that's kind of like, why? Why do that? Why, why didn't God just choose Peter? Maybe we'll talk about Peter like we'll talk about Judas. But then we read what John says, and there's this passage where they talk about how they were, were sitting uh, at a dinner table. You're going to find this in John, um, and John 12. It says this, six days before the Passover, Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived at Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. The Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and anointed Jesus' feet with, um, with it, wiping his feet with, air, with hair. Uh, the house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas, now listen to this, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who was, would soon betray him, said, the perfume was worth a year's wages. You should uh, have been, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Oh, poor Judas. He really cares about the poor guys. Like, what a waste. So how much make a year? 60,000, 70,000? The Bible says that this lady took her wages, $70,000, if it's 30,000, I'm not sure how much she was making at that time, right? So she took that much of, of, her, of her money and bought this perfume that was very expensive and poured it on Jesus' head. And you think, this is beautiful. Jesus is getting anointed. And Judas is sitting there like, Psh. yo, this could have been sold and given to the poor. Do you guys not care about the poor? But see, Judas wasn't really saying that because he cared about the poor. He cared about having that one year's wages in the pocket because look what he says, look what John says, go, goes ne and what he says next. <laughs> Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have with me. The next verse says that he just stormed out of the house. And Judas, he stormed out of the house and he went and sold Jesus. I think this gives us something to think about. And my question to you would be this. Where is Jesus worth to you? For this lady was spending a year working just to be able to have that one moment to pour, pour that perfume over her head, I mean, for, over his head. What is Jesus worth to you? Is it worth just a conversation? 
Oh, you go to church? Yeah, but like, you know, it's not like I go to church. Like, uh, sometimes I do because my parents kind of told me to go. But it's not like I'm like a Jesus freak or anything. But like, I just, and you make all these excuses. And all that time, you're just kind of proving to yourself that maybe Jesus is not really worth that much to you. Is, you know. How much Jesus, is it worth a conversation? I'm baffled by a lot of times as a pastor, people come to me and say, like, I'd love to serve in the church, man. Like, but bro, I'm working. I'm so working a lot, it's crazy. Like, I just don't have it. I'm like, yeah, and last week you told me you spent $600 on a ticket to see your favorite team. Now, as a pastor, I'm not gonna tell you how to spend your money. But let's backtrack a second, okay? You say Jesus is important. You make $12 an hour. Okay, because you, according to you, you make $12 an hour. $600, that's at least a week worth of your time. So remember what I told you that the true cost of things is how much time you give in exchange for it? So apparently you think that giving a week, so waking up, if you wake up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. for work, right? Like you wake up for a week because this is so important to you to see your favorite team. But then when it comes to church, like, bro, two hours, that's a lot. Like, you don't understand. I'm a very, how much is Jesus really worth to us? How much time are we really saying, I want to pursue this relationship? And, and we look at Moses, we look at Peter, we look at all these people, and we're like, well, they were men of God. But you know why they were men of God? Because they knew how to wait on God. Do you know why they had a, you know, a close relationship with him? Because they were willing to work on that. They were willing to, to come in repentance and they come before him. And, and they were willing to spend that time. They were willing to give the time to make it work. So Judah storms out and he says, I'm done, y'all. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, this is not what I had planned for my life. And then he goes and he sells Jesus. And you're like, Judas, what were you thinking? Because later he regrets it, but it's too late. He regrets it, and regrets it, and it's too late. But you see, here's what we see the difference. Here's what's going to make a difference in your life. I want you guys to really listen to me on this. The difference wasn't that one of them was learning and the other one wasn't. The, 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 the difference here was not that one of them was like willing to listen to Jesus and this and that. The difference here was this. That when, G, when, when Judah sinned, you know what happened after that? After he sold Jesus, he went back to the same people trying to make another deal. He, he says that he came and he threw the 30 shekels over. Now let's talk about a little bit about the 30 shekels. Do you guys not understand what 30 shekels is? You know that that's the price of? That was the price of a slave. You're gonna find that in Deuteronomy. It's written about how the price of a slave was 30 shekels. Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. Well, that tells me, then Judas' view, Jesus was worth a slave. Jesus was worth a slave to him. Now he comes, he throws that down, and he says, well, release him because he didn't do anything wrong. And the people are like, what's it to you? Just take your money and go. And he went and hung himself. But then we see Peter, he betrays Jesus. And you know what he does? He doesn't go back to make another deal with somebody else. He goes back to God. Now, it's very kind of awkward, right? 
Because the whole time for three years that Jesus spends with Peter, Peter every single time, Lord, if everyone deny, denies you, I, I got you there. Like, I, I, I got you. Like, I, I got your back. And he's constantly, constantly making these claims. And he's constantly telling how he, Jesus and him are homies. And, like, they're, they're really good. And, you know, they're, they're really good friends. And he's constantly, constantly bragging about this. But the moment that mattered the most... The moment where Jesus is already uh, captured and, and Peter is sitting there and they're, I'm sure they, they saw each other. And then this lady comes up to him and says, weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you the loudmouth that like told everyone that you were with Jesus? And some scholars say that he actually cussed and said, I don't know this guy three times and walked away. So don't mistake here, he sinned pretty badly. He walked away, he turned his back on Christ. He, he turned his back on Christ when Christ needed him the most. Have some of those friends? I'm sure you probably don't have them for very long. You know, so Jesus, when he needed Peter the most, when he needed Peter the most, the, the loud mouth, the person who always spoke up, he wasn't there. You know who was there? Do you know which disciples of the cross? It wasn't the, I'm with him. It wasn't the guy that was like doing this in the corner. It was John. It was, but he loves me. He cares about me and that, that I'm willing to go. He says the only disciple that was at the cross of Jesus was John. So what we can learn from this is this, that when we mess up, when we become a Peter, now I don't know if Judas would have been forgiven. I don't know that. But what I do know is he didn't go back to Jesus. He went back to his old, you know, people that he made a deal with. He saved himself. So my question to you is this. If you've been betraying Jesus, and I think to a certain extent all of us have done it, what do you do? Do you go back to him? Where do you go back? Oh, I'll, I'll never do drugs again. Like, I'm good. Like, I got this. Like, I'll, I'll, make, I'll, I'll go make a deal with Satan again. How's that working out for you? Oh, you know, I'm dealing with this problem. Oh, I'm going to go back and try to, try to resolve it in my own strength. How's that working out for you? How's just stop working out for you? You know, Dr. Phil Poole, right? Like, how's that working for you? So what we can learn from this is if, if we're going to see our legacy be that similar with Peter, is we're going to have to learn how to, how to repent, how to go back to the cross, how to go back to Jesus every single time we mess up. That's what's going to get us back there. That's what's going to make sure that we stay on track and leave a legacy of godliness. Leave a legacy that your kids, your future generation, right now you're thinking you're making, diff you're making choices for yourself, but you aren't. You're making choices for your kids. I know most of you don't have kids, neither do I. And that was kind of awkward because they, in California, are like, so how many kids do you have? And I'm like, none. And they're like, oh. <laughs> but the thing is, you are making decisions. The decisions you make right now will affect your future wife. You will affect your kids. The character you develop right now, you will affect every single thing down the line from you. You will affect every single thing that you do. So how you respond when you are at the bottom matters. 
Do you go back to Satan to make a lot of deal? Do you go back to your own strength? Do you go back to your own religious? And I know that in the Russian community we have that, if I can just pray that three hours a day, it'll be good. No, you won't. Because here's the thing, it's not, it's not about just praying for three hours, getting to know the real person. You can spend three hours with a friend and still have a fight. No, it's actually knowing the person. And the Bible says, prayer without ceasing. Pray, pray with, with no like, oh, I gotta pray for three hours and I'm done. I check that for the day. No, it's a constant relationship. And every single time I even get the, the smallest detail that's not working right, I have to go back to him, Lord, forgive me, restore me. Give me strength. That should be every single night before we go to sleep. Lord, would you just forgive me for anything that I've fallen short today? God, God, I, you're my only option. And a lot of people, young people that even this Wednesday I was talking to a young person who claims to be an atheist and, and I sat down with him and I was talking to him and he's like, well, bro, I just decided to walk away from this. And I'm like, okay, a lot of you say that, but let me ask you this. What did you walk towards? What are you walking to? What's your plan B? Because when I look at my life, what is our plan B? In light of eternity, right, like, what really matters in life? And, and I think if you get this perspective that we make every single decision, not just for today, we look at it, okay, how is this decision going to affect my, my legacy? How is this decision going to make my eternity? I, I, I think that will change you, you know, that you can no longer stay bitter at people. You can no longer hold unforgiveness in here. You can no longer be angry. You can no longer, God has got to strip those things away. Slowly but surely, he will do that. He will open every single closet. Every single skeleton is going to come out. It's going to be scary for a while, but it'll be good. God is going to do some cleanup. So, so I really hope and encourage you that you go back to the cross. Go back to him. Allow him to minister you. Allow him to, to come in and clean you out. Because if you want to be used for honorable purposes, you're going to have to be cleaned out. You're going to have to be changed, transformed, renewed, and restored. You're going to have to get to know Jesus and constantly maintain that relationship. Now, I'm not sure what you're dealing with tonight, and, and I really hope that, you know, I'm not here to try to make you even more guilty than you feel. That's not the purpose. The purpose of this is to, to say that there's hope and there's restoration in Him. So the first thing we have to do is go, go back to Him. But you know what's going to sustain your faith? It's not like, oh, you know what? I'm going to love Jesus no matter what. Like Peter, right? Like, did that, did that work for him? Did that sustain his faith? All the commitments that he made, all the things that he said, did that sustain his faith? You know what sustained John's faith? Jesus loves me. It's interesting. That, like, if I were to write a book, like, I don't refer myself to, like, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved. But that's, that's how he refers to himself. He doesn't say, like, I, John, he says in, in, this, in his book, you know, he says, the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, he talks about I, John, and Revelations, but, like, I'm like, seriously? Why? Well, now we understand. Now I understand a bit older when I understand that the only thing that sustains me is not my love towards him. Because my love towards him is one day, I'm like, I wake up, and I'm like, I got this. But then there's... Days like, was it two days ago, the, at 3 a.m., our fire alarm went off. You knew for sure, like, going down the stairs, four flights of stairs, I wasn't Christian at that point. I was just like, I was like trying to get out, right? Like, 
and your, your feelings and all those things, right? Like, I, wait, and I got to a point, I'm like, I'm, I got my jacket, I'm, I'm going to work. Like, I'm going to show up an hour early, but I'm like, I'm not dealing with this right now. You know, and in our, our exhaustion, our tiredness, all those things have an effect on our feelings, right? So, so this is where we cannot make decisions about how our commitment is gonna like make this relationship work. No, what, what makes us and what sustains us is his grace, his, his love and his mercy. Apostle Paul talks about this and says, I asked God to take this, this you know, this thorn in the flesh. I don't know exactly what that was, but he says, this thorn in the flesh, I asked God to take it away from me three times. And God says, my mercy is sufficient. My grace is with you. Like, thanks, but Lord, how's that work? What sustains a person is not our commitments. Commitments are great, otherwise we wouldn't go anywhere. What makes you love people that are unlovable? It's not because you're great, because you're a Christian. We love because what? He loved us first. And we are able to give this out because it's coming from this. But if it only comes, if it's only, yeah, as long as you love me, I love you. And if this no longer works, then it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work for you. That's a transaction. That's not real love. So if you get in your future marriage, you can't be doing this. As long as you love me, I... No, marriages are built on that you should love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And meaning that it's an unconditional kind of love. You receive it from here and you give it out here regardless, regardless to what they do. Now, we kind of see a glimpse of that because most of us are not married, so we don't know that yet. But like, um, we, ha- we see a glimpse of that in our parents, right? They constantly dish out love towards us, but we're not perfect. And it baffles me because they find out you're in jail and they still love you. And like, why? Just say it's not your kid. <laughs> but see, they can't do that. And I'm sure that when we're parents, we won't be able to do that. Regardless how they are, it doesn't change how I love them. No matter what kind of tantrums they throw, that doesn't change how I feel about them. If you understand that he loves you first and you love because he loves you first and people no longer, when, when they say mean things about you and in front of you and they punch you in the face, you can't turn the other cheek because your definition of who you are doesn't depend on what they say. It depends on who he says you are. It, it doesn't depend on if they love me or not. Oh, I'm going to just, you know, and I'm sure all of us, we look in the mirror, we want to be liked and we want to be accepted, right? Like, it's not like, um, but ultimately you're not defined by what they say. Because our looks do fade. Sorry to break it to you. Uh, but we, what sustains us, what sustained John, what made John still stay at the cross is because Jesus loves me. And I will not leave him. I don't say you also experience that in your friendships when your friend is going through a rough time and you're there for them. And maybe they're, you know how people, when they, they're going through a really difficult times, they take it on the people that are closest to them? And they're taking out on you and you seem to be like the person that you just kind of have to take it, right? The reason you still stick around is because you understand that at some level they still love you. They still care about you. And what, what, what sustains us is that. And the last thing is this. So, so what, what, what brings us, what changes our life is not us going back to self 
self-control and self, all those things are great. Uh, some of them are the gifts of the Spirit, but really what changes us is encountering Jesus. The second thing what sustains us is, is His love towards us. And the last thing is this, what's gonna keep you, what's gonna make sure that you leave a legacy of godliness, it's His call in your life. We have this kind of odd thing where, where Peter, the last time he saw Jesus, you know, he betrayed him. Imagine how awkward it is. Like, you know, if, if, if a person died, if Jesus just was dead the whole time, right? Like if he just stayed, you know, didn't resurrect. I don't know how to put it in a nice way. All right, like if Jesus didn't resurrect, maybe Peter wouldn't have to face Jesus. But then Peter realizes that Jesus is alive and well. And last time they saw each other, right? Last time they saw each other, they, um, <clears throat> it wasn't that great, is what I'm trying to say. And we see that Jesus, you know, gets to this point where Peter is kind of like, you know, the white elephant in the room, are we going to talk about this or not? Like, this is, I mean, this is important. And Jesus doesn't say anything. And one day, you know, Jesus prepares a meal for them. They sit down. You're going to find this in John 21. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than all of these? He said to him, yes, Lord, um, you know that I love you. He goes on to say, he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son, um, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replied, says, Lord, you know that I love you, right? Like, Lord, why are you asking this? And then Jesus said the third time, and Jesus says, okay, if you love me, tend to my sheep, right? And then he goes on to say, a third time he asks him and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know that I love you. How many times do I have to say this? And Jesus says, take care or feed my sheep. So it's kind of an interesting thing here happens where Jesus asks Peter three times and Peter the first time he's just trying to brush it off, right? Like he's kind of like, okay, you, you know, I love you. Like, you know, he has this awkward experience with Jesus, you know, like, it's like, you know, and then Jesus really gets the, like, do you love me? I want you to look at me. By the third time, Peter's like, Lord, you know that I love you. You, you know that I care about this. You know that, you know that I'm here, Peter. I mean, Jesus, you know that I'm here. And Jesus gives him this calling, which is kind of interesting to me. Like, why would Jesus give him a calling when the last time he gave him a test, he failed miserably? But you see, God is a God of second chances. God still, still gives us a calling even though we've messed up so many different times. And what made, what made Peter have an amazing legacy, and here's the thing, I think a lot of times when we think of our legacy and our call, like, Lord, I follow after you, but my business, I'm doing tile, it's amazing, like, it's, it's like blowing up, I'm gonna be like the 300 millionth company in the United States, right, like, like it's, it's important. And a lot of times we don't really understand this fully. What did Peter do as, as work? He was a fisherman. Right? Like, that's what he did. Let me ask you this. What was the 
When was the time that he caught the most fish? It was when he hung out with Jesus. So you think that, Lord, if I go after you, that means that my business, my fisher, like I'm no longer going to be in, in the fish business. But God says, you think that's important? Come after me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. Come after me, and I, you leave a legacy? I mean, who talks about who was, do you know who was uh, the fisherman in, you know, uh, 30 AD? Yeah, nobody knows that. But we know Peter. We know his legacy. So to bring all this to a close, my call to you is this. What will your life say? What will your legacy say? What kind of eternity do you face? What will you, the book of your life say? Now, we have this also interesting part uh, in the Revelations. In 2012, says this. I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead, and the dead in the grave gave up their dead. All were judged according to their deeds. So it talks about how at the end, everyone, all of us, all the saints of all the ages, they will be before Him. And we have to give an account of our life based on what's written in our books question to you is your book what's it gonna say especially what's gonna say the end of it you know um, committed suicide womanized or drunk he didn't really have much of a purpose I think the only purpose he felt he had was to expedite beloved family pets to heaven which is weird um, what's it gonna say what is it gonna say men of God <laughs> ran a business but at the same time loved his family raised up a whole bunch of kids that are are in ministry and preached the, the word and, and it, no matter if they're in business if they're in church they were a peter of their generation they're a moses of their generation you know what, what really depends all all the ending of the book you know what it depends on what kind of chapter is right today now i don't know about you i've never seen or heard a book that like has this like all this crass and all this blood and all this all these things in and at the end it says oh yeah and they lived happily ever after it was great no because if you did that if you if you saw that you're like there has to be a chapter where he explains this there has to be there has to be a place here that that has to explain how how did they go from there like how does that happen well, I've never heard, like, you know, this fairy tale of really, really, you know, nice stuff. And at the end, like, and he all committed murder and just could destroy their lives. And you're like, wait, what? Where are the chapters explaining the change? Where are the chapters that explain the ch change? And what are the chapters after that that followed up and developed the story? You see, a lot of times we look at our lives and we, we think that, well, God sort of predestined everything. God predestined everything for Judas and all that. You see, to God, He can look at your life and He can see the, the front of it. And He, maybe in the first pages, like Slavic was born, and, and then the last pages, this is when Slavic died. He can see all that. It's all before Him. He doesn't live in time, but to you, you're still writing your book. And the worst part about this is you don't know how far you are along. You don't know if you have two pages left you know, where you have a whole half of the book. We, we, don't, we just don't know these things. 
Um, I love this uh, <coughs> this this uh, movie. The, most of the girls here probably not gonna relate it with. It's called The Fall of Our Stars. Um, but there's basically this. I love the storyline. You know, if you read the book, and it's, it tells the story of this of this girl who's dying of cancer, right? And he, he, she is a, kind of like enamored by a, a novel, right? And in this novel, it's about a woman who's dying of cancer too, and obviously she can relate. And she reads the novel and then just stops. It just kind of stops, right? And she is looking for explanations, like what happened? So she flies out and, try, it's a fictional story, she flies out and meets with the writer and says, what happened here? And the writer goes, well, she died, don't you get it? It's blank after that. But I don't think when we die, it's all blank. It's just the part, this life is, is now it's written, now it's no longer, you no longer make any choices. So my hope to you today is this, that just like death took in, I mean, came in and took my dad and this other person in our, in our church that, you know, a lot of our leaders called dad and, and was a man of God. We don't know when that's gonna happen to us. It could be now, it could be later. I mean, I could walk out of here and hit, get hit by a bus. I don't know. I hope that I don't. But if this is the end of my book, like I think every time I go before a crowd and I be a teenagers, if there are like three teenagers, I always say like, if this is the last sermon that I preach, would I be okay with this? If this is the last chapter that I wrote in this book of my life, would I be fine with what this chapter says? Would I be okay with what's written in my obituary? Am I gonna leave a legacy of godliness or a legacy of brokenness? So my call to you is this. What are you doing today? What kind of chapters are you writing? You see, maybe a lot of you have been going through a lot of brokenness. They, maybe you don't, you don't really seem to break away. I want to tell you that some of the best novels, some of the best books, have a lot of things in there that are broken, but they always re lead to redemption. Because if they're all just a book about broken things, it's very depressing. We read novels and we read, we watch good movies and all that because we want to see for the redemption story. Yeah, Superman and all that, like, there's gotta be a, a redemption story in there. There's gotta be something that redeems the brokenness because everything inside of us says there's gotta be something where, where evil does die, in fact, where, where something, something that will come in if it's Superman or you see the reason we resonate with these stories is because we we constantly look for something to come and remedy the the brokenness and the evil in our lives I'm not okay with all the brokenness in my job and all over the you know <laughs> overseas I'm not okay with any of that and a lot of us you know we look at that and say that's broken and we look for a savior we look for someone that will come in and, and fix us and change us and if you've been dealing with brokenness, I want to read this quote. I really don't know who she is, but I think this quote, I don't know much about her life, so don't, you know, don't go in there, but like, <laughs> I came across this quote and I thought it was beautiful. Her name is Elizabeth, and he says this, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, 
known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depth. These persons have always appreciated a sensitive sensitivity and understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. So I don't know if she is, I don't know if she's Christian, but I think she's speaking to something that's very deep within every single one of us. That I, we understand that the thing about brokenness is not how, what it is, it's how we get out of it, how we, to see the redemption story in it. And with Jesus, we have the cross, and which is very broken. I mean, who sings about the electric chair? Nobody does that. How is an electric chair beautiful? The cross was a torture device. It was meant to kill people. It became this, this symbol of hope, the symbol of redemption because of the cross, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of these things, all the things that we, we've been going through, got taken from us and placed on him and he's dealt with, us, with that on the cross. That's what's beautiful about it. There's nothing beautiful about a old rugged cross. What is beautiful is what was accomplished through it. So as I'm calling to prayer, I really hope that you listen to me today. I ask you, if you have been dealing with him, we're going to take a few minutes, we're going to pray. Would you step forward? Would you, would you come to the cross and say, Lord, I've, I've made a lot of wrong terms, but I'm trying to write new chapters in my life. God, I'm, I'm trying really hard and I need to encounter you. I need to be sustained by your love and I need to be called by you, Lord. I know that it's easier to do a call for teenagers because they just listen. And when you're a young adult, you're like, well, what about, well, the girl and the guy, what if they look at me and... But church is about being a family. And in families, we celebrate the good things and we mourn about over bad things and we come together and we have compassion. So I want to pray with you. If you guys want to just stand. We're running out of time, but would you just step forward? I just want to pray with you. We're going to go into a worship song. Uh, would you just step forward? Would you just come to the front? If, if this has spoke to your life, and maybe you're going through a season that you're, 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 you're going through a really rough season, would you, would you come up front? Or maybe you have forgotten, you know, the love of Christ, and you've been making commitments, you've been making all this. Would you, would you step forward and say, God, I, I'm here because I want to hear from you. Be bold. Step in your faith. I want to pray with you guys. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you and inspire you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, would you share it with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.